So I'm Boris. I will be the evangelist for the Rethink Faith series that we have coming up. And um, I'm really scared, nervous, and excited all at the same time about it. Um, Which I think just feels normal at this point. Um, You guys are endeavoring to do a pretty massive thing, and that is to do a complete refurb of this building before the meetings begin so that we can do the meetings in here and pack, the ter- uh, pack out this church, um, hopefully with yourselves, your children, and people, and your friends, your friends and neighbors in the community to come, and to really have a rethink about faith, to see whether it's really worth having faith in your life. And I believe that if you're present here, you have experienced and you've come to an understanding that faith is actually a very important thing in life, isn't it? And it's not silly to have faith. And we will be talking more about that throughout the evangelistic series. Um, For today, I I just want to share um, probably one of my favorite sermons. And the reason um, it's one of my favorite sermons is because it really opened my eyes with what God can do. And so before I go uh, go into the sermon, I'd like you just to join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you recognizing that we need you. God, I need you right now. Please, give me your Holy Spirit. Make your word and message clear in my mind. Father, I'm begging you, don't let me utter a lie. Don't let me deceive your people. And so, Father, with conviction and clarity, may your word be communicated in, in, in such a way, in a miraculous way, Lord, so that every single one of us can get something out of it. And we're all at different places in our life. And so, Lord, we ask that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible may be present here. And so, for that reason, Lord, we're asking that you forgive us our sins. Lord, we ask that you just remove any distraction, anything that could be separating us from you, so that we can hear you whether it's in the loud voice or the still small voice, convict our hearts and let us see you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I got a question for you guys. Who was the most faithful prophet in all the Bible? Feel free to yell it out. Yes. Man, you guys got it like first time. Normally, I get like, Elijah, or or like Moses, or all these things. Jesus was the most faithful prophet in Scripture. Do you agree with that? Yes or no? Now, he was God. We know that, yeah? But was he a prophet? Yeah, he had messages from God, right? Now, he's the most faithful prophet, the most faithful being that's ever walked on this earth. If you agree with that, say, I agree. Who would you say is the most unfaithful prophet in the Bible? Didn't take too long to get that one right either. Jonah. Now, I find this absolutely fascinating. The only Old Testament prophet that Jesus likens himself to is Jonah. Isn't that fascinating? That the most faithful being, the most faithful God, Jesus, the only Old Testament prophet that he says is, there's a connection between us is Jonah. Now, this got my brain rattled, and, and, and he, Jesus goes on to explain why. He says, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, three days and three nights, so I will be in the tomb, right? I want to look at Jonah. Now, who knows 
where the first time in the Bible Jonah appears. In Kings, yes, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there. 2 Kings chapter 14. So don't, Jonah wasn't a first-time prophet. I, I should say, Jonah wasn't just a regular layperson when God came to him in the book of Jonah. He was already a prophet prior to that. And we're going to read about that. 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 26. If you have your Bibles and you're there, say amen, and that gives me permission to read. Now, let me tell you why I do this. I practice this whenever I preach. It's because I learned how to read properly after the age of 18. All right, so that's kind of a humiliating thing, not just for me, but also in the educational system. Um, (laughs) True or false, right? You shouldn't be able to put someone all the way through school without them knowing how to read. I didn't mind at the time, but it was extremely humiliating when you realize, hey, reading's kind of important. Um, so I remember like giving my life to Jesus, wanting to learn about Jesus and going to church and the pastor would be like, turn to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 26. And he starts reading and then he's like, go to Mark, Mark chapter 4, verse 12 now. And so we go to Mark and, and they're on their like third passage and I'm like, all right, I found Kings. So please, I'm going to wait for you to give me permission to read so that we, as much as possible, in a crowd this large, it's kind of hard to make sure everyone's on the same page, but as much as possible, I'd like us to stick together, yeah? So if you're there and you're seeing it in your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 26, say amen. amen. All right, and I'm reading. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah. According to the word of the Lord of God, uh, pardon me, the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant who? Which he, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 26. Pardon me, 25, I lied, sorry. It's not a good way to start a sermon. Verse 25, all right, can we, can we give it a restart? Seen me trying to make sure you stick with me, I lost me. All right, verse 25. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord of Israel, which he spoke through who? His servant Jonah, the son of Amati, the prophet was from where? Gath Hepha. Now don't miss this. Jonah was a faithful prophet, yes or no? Yes or no? He was a faithful prophet for many years. The Bible actually tells us that Israel was able to gain a bunch of land back because Jonah was doing his ministry faithfully, doesn't it? Jonah was prophesying, working with the kings to get their land back. Now, who were they getting their land back from? The Assyrians, right? They were at war with the Assyrians. Now, this is actually significant, but I don't want you to miss this. Jonah loved Israel, didn't he? Jonah was helping Israel, wasn't he? God, through the word that he gave Jonah, Israel was able to reclaim land that it had lost, yeah? He was a faithful prophet. And it's in this context that we find the book of Jonah expanding. So go with me to the book of Jonah now, and we're going to start in chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, I beat you there because I had a bookmarker and I knew where I was going. Jonah chapter 1. When you get to chapter 1 and you're looking at verse 1, say amen. Amen. All right, there's a few still turning there. We're going to hang on for them. 
But please don't miss this. So far in Jonah's life, is he faithful as a prophet? Yes or no? Has God been blessing his ministry? Very much so, right? And then God has a request on Jonah that, as we'll see, gets um, a bit too big for the prophet to swallow. Let's have a look. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, Arise and go where? Nineveh. Now what's significant about Nineveh? It's the capital city of Assyria. Now at this point, what's Jonah doing? The word of the Lord is coming to Jonah and he's advising the kings in how they should go to battle and they're winning and conquering the enemy. And who's the enemy? So now in this context, God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh where the king of Assyria lives. Hold up. Where? Why? Why? And cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. Now, does it say that he arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Nineveh? What does your Bible say? He was running now from the presence of God. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the, what's your Bible say there? From the presence of the Lord. So we know that Jonah was a faithful prophet up to this point, right? Do you think being a Jew, he would have known the scriptures of what happens to prophets when they rebel from God? You think he would have been ignorant of that? Have there been prophets that have rebelled from God prior to this? Yes or no? And what was the result? Truthfully, right? He knows the consequences. Yet in his heart, the thing that God's just asking him to do is too much. And I personally believe that his rebellion is actually coming from a place of love. A love for his people rather than a love for mission. I, I kind of believe that in my heart. Because if I go there and, and, and if, I, if they repent, what's going to be of my people? They, they're our enemies. Please note, Jonah knows what happens to prophets who rebel from God. And with that knowledge, he is willing to not go, it doesn't say to not, not go to Nineveh, right? It says to run from the presence of God. Now, do you also think that he's heard of the story in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve fell? Yeah? Yeah? So he'd be very aware that you just can't hide or run from the presence of God. So this isn't like Jonah thinking, okay, if I'm over in this land, he won't be able to see me. No, no, this is rebellion from God. You hear what I'm saying? This is Jonah saying, God, I was happy to serve you, but I just can't do this anymore. 
But for some reason, Jonah's still alive. Because past prophets, unfortunately, didn't have that privilege. Right at this point, they would have already been gone, but they're still alive. He's still alive. And check out what God does. Verse 4. So Jonah's in the boat, heading to Tarshish. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Now I know in this part of the world, there are people with boats. Raise your hand if you have a boat. All right, there's a few. It is true that you are at the mercy of the sea out there. That is true. That is why... I used to live in Ingham, right? So, like, people would travel all around Australia to come visit Forest Beach and the Hitchinbrook Channel to get their chance of hitting a barramundi. And the tourists would come and love catching a barramundi. Us locals are sick of barramundi. We want a mangrove jack. They, yeah. Now, here's the thing. When the weather forecast is saying that the sea's going to be calm good luck finding a spot at the boat ramp. When the weather says that it's going to be six, seven, eight foot swell out there and winds over 30 knots, how many boats do you reckon, or trailers do you reckon you see at the uh, boat ramp? None. Why? Because they're not idiots. Because they know it doesn't matter how big their boat is, whether you're having a good day or a bad day out there, depends on the water. Fisherman, do you agree with me? You're at the mercy of the sea. Now, the sea here seems to be doing something terrible, doesn't it? It seems like there's a condition, a weather change that's happened, and it's getting so bad that it looks like the boat is going to break. And so panic hits. Then the mariners who were, uh, pardon me, were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, this is verse 5, cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him. By the way, guys, why is the captain going under the deck? You ever think of that? Like, why didn't he send a worker, go find more? No, no, the captain's down there. He finds, he finds uh, Jonah sleeping, and he's like, what on earth are you doing, right? And I love the way he, 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 he words this. My Bible says, what do you mean, sleeper? It's kind of like this, what are you, Sleeping? And so he rebukes him, gets him to come up. And then it says this, right? He says this to him. Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. People, 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 people. Jonah's whole ministry was about what? Was about what? Receiving messages from God and communicating with God for what purpose? For people to be saved. Now here he is in his rebellion, no, and even in this rebellion, in the midst of this storm, God once again is calling him, call on your God that we may be spared. But he doesn't. Everyone else around him is praying except for the prophet. 
And so they cast lots, the Bible says. They flip a coin, rolled a dice. I don't know exactly how that looked. Most people say that it was probably like different shaped bones that had different markings on them and they'd roll them. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah to reveal that, okay, hold up, you're the one that's not right with the God. Now let, let's, let's catch this story on, right? Let's catch this up. In verse 8, so after the lot fell on Jonah, it says this, then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. And all of a sudden, fear hits all of them. Now you've got to understand, the Israelites had a tremendous reputation. They had an amazing reputation. And the reason is this, they weren't actually a rich people. They weren't. Look at a lot of like the war stories throughout the Old Testament. Like they, they had like farm tools as weapons. They weren't Egypt. They weren't a mighty, mighty kingdom that had these massive walls around them that just couldn't be penetrated. No, no, no. They were these wanderers. They were these weirdos who like rested once a week. And then like, they weren't rich. And they're currently warring against the most powerful empire that exists on earth. And that empire is having a very tough time defeating them. Assyria would eat up kingdoms for breakfast. It just did. Literally, it was like the US of today. No, it's true. That's why Australia, for smart reasons, is saying, hey, we want to be your friend. Why? But that's a smart move because you take any other stance, we're done. We're not strong. They're massive. We're not strong. So it's like, let's get under the wing of a strong one. That was Assyria. And all of a sudden, it's just chewing up kingdoms. Assyria's growing. It's growing and chewing up kingdoms, kingdoms that actually have cities with big walls surrounding it, and it chews them up like nothing. And all of a sudden, there's these people that are out there with, like, sickles. And this battle's, got, this battle's going back and forth. Assyria wins some land. Israel gets some land back. It's like, what? This little guy should have been breakfast. Now, you've got to understand, also, in those days, it wasn't mainly an issue of nation against nation. In warfare, in the people's mentality, it was God against God. Or most of the time, if they're warring against Israel, it was God against gods. You follow? Because the way Assyria functioned, as they conquered a kingdom, the God that that kingdom had, they would adopt into their own kingdom. You follow? And so he would still be subservient to the main God, but there'd be many gods. So, so truthfully, like Assyria was kind of like evangelism through war. Kind of, right? We conquer you, now you have to 
worship our gods, but we'll bring your God in so he's on our team so that when we war against the next person, we've got even more gods against their gods. You follow what I'm saying? Now all of a sudden, there's, there's a Hebrew nation who are saying one God. And you've got a Syria that's got so many gods warring against it. And this little people is not breakfast yet. You follow what I'm saying? So, so when Jonah says to them, I'm a Hebrew, my God's the one who created heaven and earth and the sea and the waters. They all get afraid. They all get afraid because what that, that God is something different because everyone else has been chewed up, but your guys are still surviving. So what do we do? What do we do here now, Jonah? And check this out. Verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the man knew, pardon me, for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord before, because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may come, be calm for us? For the sea was growing even more temptress. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great temptus, temp, temptus is because of me. What? That seems like a dumb call. Right? Like, if, if God said go to Nineveh, right? And Jonah's like, no, I'm running from God. And the storm comes and it's raging and it get found out why. And they say, Jonah, okay, what can we do to calm the storm? What's the logical answer? Turn the boat around toward Nineveh, isn't it? If, if this is happening because he's running from where God's calling him, the logical call is, well, if you want this to stop, let's go where God is calling me. Isn't, it, isn't that the logical move, yes or no? What does Jonah come up with? Throw me overboard. Why? Why? Was Jonah like, do you know what? No, look, I'm fine. I'm a good swimmer. Just throw me. Oh, I got it from here. Why did he say throw me overboard? Because he still didn't want to go. Don't, don't miss this. Jonah, in his heart, his rebellion against God was so hard that he would rather die than do what God wanted him to do. Now, in my life, I have been rebellious towards God. I have. I would actively do stuff that I knew was wrong and I'd lie about it and hide it and, and, and all of that, but I truthfully never got to the place in my life where I would rather die than do what God wants me to do. Are you starting to see the extent that Jonah's heart got hardened to his direction in life? Yes or no? He was rebellious. This faithful prophet became so rebellious that he would rather die. He'd rather be killed and drown than do what God was asking him to do. Unfortunately, God knew that he'd be so dumb. And so the Bible actually tells us we're going to jump ahead <laughs> to verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. <laughs> 
sucked in, dude. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Guys, throw me overboard. All right, he's in the waves. And all of a sudden, there's a... Can you imagine like the freak out moment? Now he's conscious. Like I'd way rather be in the belly of a fish dead than alive. Right? Like I don't have to like guess, where am I? What fish, is, what is this even? What, what? I don't even know what's going on, right? His rebellion had led him to rebel against so God. Are so hard against God that he finds himself in the gut of a fish for three days and three nights. The Bible tells us that here, in the gut of a fish, Jonah's eyes start to be opened. In this state, you know how, like, the saying goes sometimes you have to let people hit rock bottom? I think in kind of like a very literal way, you can't get more bottom than being in a gut of a big fish. But that's where Jonah finds himself. And in the fish, the Bible says in verse 2, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. In the gut of this fish, in the pit of his rebellion, as far as he possibly could put himself from the presence of God, there he decides to call out to God and the Bible says God answered him. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me and your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surround me even to my soul. My deepest, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the morning, um, moorings, I guess, of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord. Skeptics have a tremendous challenge with this part of the book of Jonah. They do. They mock it. Yeah, cool. So for three days, he was in a big fish. Yeah, uh-huh, sweet, fairy tales. Um, I have no time for those skeptics. I don't. We don't even know what kind of monster beasts there are in the ocean. Do you know that? You know, like, we've put a man on the moon. We have, as humans, we have never hit the depths of the ocean floor. Do you know that? We know less about what's under us in the water than we do what's above us in the skies. That's just true. Like, science has not excelled with what's under the water. I remember we were at Forest Beach when we were living there. My dad came to visit. And um, we were going across to Palm Island to check it out. And we saw, like, whales just jumping up, spitting, cruising. And so we're on this small dinghy. We're like, yep, let's go. And so we went. And we were probably like, I don't know, maybe from here to like the end of the blue curtain away from him in this tiny little tinny. This thing was way bigger than us. 
like not way bigger than me. This thing was way bigger than the boat that five of us were in. And I'm always too brave and want to get too close. And my dad's always too chicken and wants to stay too far. And so we're constantly like balancing each other out of like, you're too close. And you're like, maybe you're right. And I'm like, you're too far. So like, and it was this amazing time. But listen, it genuinely isn't hard for me to imagine that there are things in the ocean that could swallow me whole and have enough air for me to live in for days. It doesn't take a lot of faith for me to imagine that. It really doesn't. Where the story goes to after this, that bothered me for many years. It bothered me for a long time. And let's go to see what happens next. You guys ready? Verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out. How? What's your Bible say? On dry land. Now I want you to think about this. This fish is the monstrosity, right? And the Bible doesn't say that it spat Jonah out in the shallow waters, right? It doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that the fish vomited him before he got to the shore and Jonah just swam out. No, no, what does it say? It vomited him out where? On dry land. What, what has to happen for a fish to be able to vomit you out onto dry land? It has to be visible, doesn't it? And, and it has to be on like kicking on shallow stuff, right? You ever seen the beached whale? Now the Bible doesn't say this thing got beached, but it does tell us that it vomited him on dry sand right? And then look at this. This is where, when I read it, I was like, whatever, whatever, this just doesn't happen. It says this, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, a three days journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Whatever. He walks into Nineveh. Doesn't say a word. In 40 days, God's going to kill you. And everyone believes? Did you feel it? Are you moved? Are you converted now? In 40 days, Jehovah will kill you. Quick, everyone, repent. I'm sorry. Now listen, I've been doing Bible work for a lot of years. My heart and soul, and I believe God's calling on my life, is to try preach the word of God to the lost so that they have a chance of accepting Jesus as their Savior. I believe that that's God's calling for me. I remember we went to Ingham, this small town, just my wife and I, to plant a church. There is no way I could walk into Ingham and say, in 40 days, you're all going to die and everyone to be like at church that Sabbath. We had to work and work and work. I knocked on over 2,000 doors before I got my first person from doors to church. It's hard work. I was in every social club that was in the area. I was in every ministerial fraternal. I was at every 
chaplaincy thing that I could be at or Ari at the schools, in every aspect of community that I could be in. And like we were so excited when we had 20 at church. And here I am reading Jonah coming to a city, doesn't say a word, says five words in the Hebrew, in 40 days you're going to die, and everyone is like, quick, repent. Not just that, look at what the Bible says. This is crazy. Verse 6, then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed by public, uh, and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? What? Listen, if a skeptic wants to be skeptic about any part of the book of Jonah, this is the part. The big fish, come on, man, you don't have to be a genius to know that that stuff exists in the ocean. Right? But who here has experienced someone coming and saying five words, in 40 days you're going to die, and your heart is just changed? So much so that the king makes a law throughout the whole city of Nineveh. Repent, repent, repent. Fast, fast, fast. Let's get right. And you know what? I've heard so many Adventist preachers say this. Oh, how I wish I had his sermon notes. You have them. They're in the text. It's five words. In 40 days you're going to die. Listen, Jonah didn't want to go, did he? Well, you think in the fish he was preparing an eloquent homiletical sermon to be able to appeal to as many as possible? He was defeated. All right, I'm going to have to do this. And he gets there, says five words, and the whole city repents. And this bothered me. Do you get why it bothered me, yes or no? Well, you think when the Rethink campaign happens that I'm just going to be able to stand here and be like, guys, repent or die. All right, who's coming forward for baptism? And all your friends and neighbors are going to be like, Lord, I'm coming, I'm sorry, I'm coming. That's just not how, but why? Why was Jonah able to say that and it be so effective? Well, I did some reading about Assyria. And you know how I told you? That the way they adopt a God is by defeating a kingdom that has a certain God. You follow? Now, the main God, Syria had many gods, but their main God, the first God they started off with, the first war they went to against with others was, was the God Dagon, the fish God. Now, I want you to just think about this. You're currently warring against Israel. And for some reason, this tiny little speck of a nation is putting up more resistance than anything you've experienced so far. And you're warring against them, warring against them, warring against them. Now you've got to understand, you're not just warring for territory. This is my gods versus your God. We are stronger, you are not. 
and we will show you that your God is weaker because our gods will defeat you. In the midst of this war, by the seashore, which by the way, in those days was always heavily populated. Do you know why? Because they didn't have such a thing called refrigerators. So all the fish that got caught was cleaned right there by the banks and sold right by the shore. Because you don't have a whole lot of time to sell it because it's going to spoil. The shore sides were always packed in those days. Now don't miss this. You're an Assyrian. You're an Assyrian. And you're going to the markets that morning to make sure you get fresh fish for your family. And all of a sudden, you hear this water moving. And you turn, and you see the biggest fish that you have ever seen in your life. Like, this thing is, is nothing you've seen before. This thing looks divine. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and this weird-looking man comes out. And the fish is just like, Right? Goes off. That's my fish interpretation. (laughs) This weird man, who's, by the way, probably looking all bleached and like patchy hair because of the acidity in the stomach. He gets up. Doesn't say a single word. He doesn't. He comes out. Gets his bearings, and where's he heading to? The capital. What's going through your head? What's going through your head, Assyrians? God has sent us a messenger. Are you not? They had many gods, but their head god was Dagon. God has sent us a messenger. And all of a sudden, he doesn't say a single word. I can just imagine the word going ahead of the prophet, yeah? Dagon sent us a messenger. Dagon sent us a messenger. He enters Nineveh, still nothing. He walks for an entire day, a day's journey. Stops in the middle of Nineveh. In 40 days, you're going to be killed. Who are they warring against? Who are they warring against? Israel. How do they determine which God is true and which one's not? Through warfare. They do. That's why if they conquer someone, their gods become subservient. Right? And the people, they have to accept their God because he conquered them. He was stronger than them. It was evangelism through warfare in those days. And all of a sudden, their God sends them a messenger saying, you're going to lose. What does that mean about Dagon? What does that mean about their God that they're warring in the name of? He's weaker than Jehovah. The one that the Israelites are warring in the name of. And all of a sudden, the king makes a decree. Let's get right with their God. Let's get right with their God. And they repent, don't they? 
They repent. To the point that verse 10 says this, then God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that, they had, uh, that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Why was Jonah's words so powerful? Because he came out of a fish. Now, now don't miss this. Please don't miss this because we're getting to the point. You guys following so far? How did he end up in a fish? Was God like, Jonah, you must go to Nineveh. Yes, Lord, fine, I'll start walking. No, not with your legs. Well, then how, Lord? I have prepared a ride. <laughs> this fish comes up with its mouth open. Enter, Jonah, you'll be fine. Yes, Lord, I am a faithful servant. I am going with you. Is that how Jonah ended up in the fish? Yes or no? How did he end up in the fish? He was rebelling. He was rebelling. He was running from God. He, had, he was at the, so rebellious that he would rather die. He'd rather die than do what God wants him to do. And in the midst of that rebellion, in the midst of running from God, in the midst of his hard heart, God meets him there and doesn't just give him a new start, but he even uses the time in rebellion for his glory. See, we think when we come to Jesus and accept forgiveness, that it's like, all right, cool, no problem. I've wiped away everything you've done, and today's a new day. Start again. And you know what? That's true to a certain degree. But God saves so much more than we give him credit for because he doesn't just wipe away my past. He even converts that to now be able to be used by him to save people. He does. He does. My rebellion, my 18 years that I had running from God, getting stuck in sins and addictions, when I gave my heart to Jesus, they weren't done away with. No, no, no. He converted even that. He did. Because now, when I talk about the porn addiction that I had and the struggles that I struggled with, there are people who even this week were calling me saying, hey man, I'm really struggling with this thing and I can actually help them. You ever heard the saying, I've wasted the first 18 years of my life or the first 50 years of my life or the first 70 years of my life? The gospel doesn't teach that. It doesn't. Because we actually serve a God who doesn't waste. It's true. We serve a God who doesn't waste. Every experience that you've been through, every mess up you've made, Every lesson you've learned, when you give your life to Jesus, he will use every part of you for his glory now. Because now you're his. And you know what? Talking about your sins is not glorifying sin because sin lost. You gave your life to Jesus. Jesus is the winner. But that doesn't change the fact that God doesn't just erase your past. Now, he does in his eyes, but he doesn't. He, he, he gets your whole journey, and he's like, you know that those 18 years you think you wasted? You're going to find out 
that it's those 18 years that make you a powerful preacher, Boris. It's those 18 years that are going to give you authority so when you utter those words, hearts will be touched. It was the time in the fish, the time of rebellion that gave Jonah authority. Now his rebellion didn't give give him authority. It was what Jesus was able to do once he gave his heart to him. That every aspect that he found himself in life was now the very thing God can use to reach people he couldn't otherwise. As I mentioned, I really struggled with sexual immorality. I grew up in a household where we just weren't allowed to talk about it. And my parents are here. We've had this conversation. We're cool with it. And they're on the conversion journey. I'm on a conversion journey. And and God's been amazingly great in our family's life. I want to just say thank you, Jesus. There was a time my father and I, we couldn't be up here ministering together. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen. Because of that circumstance where I couldn't share my struggles... I didn't, which led me to just stumble more, stumble more, stumble more. And before you know it, here I am as a 14-year-old kid, daily watching porn and just like training myself to be a pervert. All my friends are doing it too, by the way, and none of us can talk about it with any grown-up because that's just disgusting and no one's ever experienced porn that's above the age of 20, right? And so here we are, in all innocence at the time, in the head, in all, oh, this is normal, oh, this is interesting, training myself to be a slave to sin. Training myself to never be able to look at my sisters, not my literal sisters, but like my sisters in Christ properly, but rather everyone's all of a sudden just a thing, a thing to be looked at, a thing to be touched, a thing to be enjoyed. Corruption, sin corrupts your mind real bad. And I remember the shame that came along with that. It's disgusting. Even the ones that are doing it know it's disgusting, but all of a sudden what was just inquisitive and interesting is now a prison cell that you just can't escape. Fast forward some years. God uses several situations in my life, my sister especially, to come to AYC, there I heard the Word of God preached in a way I've never heard it preached before, and I decided to give God a chance. And so I started this journey of reading my Bible every day, which was a whole other challenge, which I'll share when I share my testimony in a few weeks um, when I'm preaching up here again. But long story short, God wins my heart. I realize He loves me, and He does something in me that makes me want to love Him too. And so I give my heart to God and I remember just secretly struggling and and really just praying that the perversion, sin that I got myself into never comes to light, right? Because it's embarrassing, isn't it? You get it? And I remember just hiding it and hiding it and hiding it and hiding it. And I remember being at Mission College when I was in the States and young men would talk about their struggles, and I would be like, oh, yeah, do this, 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 and this, but never from a point of, hey, I get it, man, because I struggled for so long. No, 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 I, no, no, I'm Christian. You, you get what I'm saying? And last night on Friday, we talked about this, so you guys who were there, you know what I'm talking about. There's this, like, oh, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, converted. I don't have issues anymore. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you so much that I never struggle. 
I remember I was invited to Oregon, a church there called Stone Tower Church, to preach for a men's conference, and they wanted me to talk about sexual, sexual immorality and that type of sin and struggle that is so prevalent in men. And I remember being like, in my room, preparing for this, just looking at Bible verses, and just like wanting to talk about this issue while detaching my own struggle from the issue. You get what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense? I know I'm not the most eloquent, but you get what I'm saying? I just remember like the night that I was there, the Holy Spirit just really convicted me. Share your journey. Share it. Share how you got hooked, how you got stuck, how you got trapped, and the journey that it's been out. Share what Jesus has currently got you, where you're at. And that was so scary for me, because I don't want to share that. You think it's not humiliating for me saying it right now? Yeah, I wish I was a different person to who I am, but I'm not. I'm me. And I remember I got up there and I shared. I just put it all out. Now, prior to this, I had some occasions to talk about like men's issues, but I never like put myself on it. And this amazing thing happened. The Holy Spirit moved in such a way that I had just not seen. That all of a sudden, fathers who were in the room with their sons were getting up and confessing that they're struggling with them. They need their brothers around them to help them. And their sons realizing, my dad struggles too. And, and this thing just happened where the men in this church at Stone Tower were just embracing each other praying for each other, and not all of them had that struggle, but even the ones who didn't were just able to pray and help and love each other, and a closeness, and the Spirit just moved in such a revivaling way there that I hadn't experienced that up to that point. After that, the support group got set up from them, and we would like, for like three years till I left, Every Wednesday would be a phone conference of us talking to each other, keeping each other accountable. And the Spirit of God worked in people's lives that wanted them to be walking victoriously in Jesus. They weren't just hiding their own sins. They realized Jesus is hiding them for me and His Spirit promised to give me victory. So brothers, let's get victory. And for the first time, I saw that those 18 years of my life weren't wasted. They weren't. Even my years of rebellion, when I gave my life to Jesus, He can use for His glory. I remember I was invited to preach for a youth conference in India. I think this was in 2013. 2013. And... Um, when I got there, there was a, a, a girl that like helped organize the whole thing and she just said, hey, I just want to let you know so you're aware, um, sexual abuse is really prevalent in this part of the world, in and outside of the church. It's just very present. So just be aware of it. And I remember preaching my first night, the Holy Spirit was present, God moved. And, and in India, it's not like Australia. Australia, they just kind of like try to avoid the preacher or they'll like just be like, thanks, and leave. In India, everyone wants to have a chat with you. 
and everyone wants to talk about how that sermon related to them and how you can help them through. The, it's just like full on. And so I remember like I'm sitting up the front seat and there's this line two at the back of the church waiting to have chats. And this girl comes and sits next to me. She's like, I need you to pray for me. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, no problem. What are we praying about? She goes, like, okay. You know that like, I'm like, we don't believe in like the Pope kind of thing in Adventism, right? Like my prayers are not more special than your prayers. Like, it's kind of weird for me to just pray generally for something that I don't know about or don't know, you know, I don't even, so, so like, you know you can come to Jesus and he hears your prayers just as much, right? And that's true, amen? You can pray to Jesus and he hears you. And she like, okay, well, what kind of things do you want me to pray for? And then she said something that rocked me. She said, pray for my dad. I was like, okay, what about your dad? Pray that I can love him. Interesting prayer. Why don't you love your dad? Is he violent? Okay. And and, and the Holy Spirit at that time just brought back the comment that the lady said, how sexual abuse is very prevalent. And so I asked her, has he sexually abused you? And all of a sudden, just tears just start uncontrollably flowing. And he didn't, but he'll allow his brothers to come and have their way with his daughter. And for sure we prayed, but my brain was blown. Because in my head, I would have said, can you please pray that God kills my dad? I would. What is she asking me? Can you please help me love my dad? How crazy is that? The next girl came and chat. We started talking. And it literally got to the point that night, towards the end of the night, they'd sit down, they'd be all teary, and I'd just be like, have you been abused by like a pastor, an elder, or a family member? And literally about 80% of the young girls that were there, that was just the case. Devastating. And, and the whole theme of the conference was go make disciples. And I remember God just telling me, like, hey, 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 no, 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 like, what, bring people here to get raped? No, 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 no. Repentance needs to take place. And I remember just going back to my um, room that I was staying in and just wrestling with God, like, what do you want me to share? Now, here's the challenge about India. It's a culture that is rampant with sexual abuse, but it's a culture where it's absolutely taboo to mention anything sexual. Do you get what I mean? And by the way, parentheses, sin thrives in silence. It does. Sin thrives in silence. I'm not saying condemn, I'm not saying rebuke, no, 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 no. But as a church, we should talk about the things that are crippling us. It's in silence that sin thrives and you have this whole nation that is silent about a sin that's destroying them. And so I was praying. So I became convicted to share my struggle with it. 
Now, I was never abused and I never abused. But I struggled with sexual immorality. And I remember I started sharing. And their faces, the first night, you disgusting Westerner, is this, how dare you? And as I kept sharing, and kept sharing the how dare you, you disgusting human, turned to convicted faces. By the end of the week, when I was just finishing my journey and how God through Jesus Christ, has given me victory. Not freedom, but victory. Hallelujah. Those faces that were condemning me for saying such disgusting words were convicted because they knew they were disgusting people, but now they were hopeful that they might not be disgusting anymore. And I remember my last appeal. I've never made an appeal like this in my, in my entire life. I've never. I said, if you are a person here who has sexually abused someone that's innocent, you need repentance. You need to repent before God. Accept whatever consequences follow, but you need to repent before God. And I made an altar call. I made an altar call that if someone had abused an innocent victim to come forward and repent... There's probably like 80 men that came forward. And among them was quite a number of ministers and elders. Now, now let me just tell you something. This is true. If the Holy Spirit can win a pastor, he can win anyone. No, it's true. Because, because you've got to understand, I feel a pressure that I'm meant to be a certain way. You follow? And, and, and it's scary for me to talk about my weaknesses that are real because, because unfortunately we do live in a world where the church seems to think that the pastor should have it all together. And so when the Holy Spirit works on the heart of a pastor, it's actually really difficult for them to respond because, because they know by and large that's going to be accompanied with like, what a disgusting guy. He should be out of me. He's the pastors came, the Holy Spirit was present there in a way that I had never seen before. I could go on and on and on and on, but I don't want to, because you're hungry. But don't miss this, please don't miss this. When you surrender your life to Jesus, it's not just the future that He changes, it's your past too. See, there's some of you here, I'm convinced that there may be some people in this crowd who genuinely think they're too bad to come to Jesus or they've gone too far to come to Jesus or they've done too many disgusting things. How could they ever be used by God? Surrender your life to God and the thing that you're disgusted about, even that God can use for His glory. When you surrender your heart to Jesus, it's not just the future that he changes, but he's also able to use the past. God is amazing. We serve a God that doesn't waste. Whatever you give him, he's going to use. And so like Paul, I can say I boast in my weaknesses that the glory of God may be seen. I am nothing 
No good comes out of me. Nothing good comes out of me. Yet even so, when I surrendered my life to God, there just seems to be good stuff happening. You got to understand, coming to Jesus is so healing that it doesn't just heal your future. He's able to heal your past. You get that? So if you're in these seats and you haven't surrendered to Jesus because for some reason the devil's told you you've done too far, you've rebelled too hard, let me first say you haven't rebelled to the point that Jonah has. You haven't. You're not at a point where you would rather die than follow God. You look what he was able to do even with Jonah after he surrendered to Jesus. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus because you're too messed up, give it to him and see what he does, not just with your future, but with the very things you're ashamed of now. And so I want to ask you, and give you an opportunity. Do you want to keep being ashamed? Do you want to keep hiding? Do you want to keep hiding your own sins or do you want to finally just let God hide it for you where it counts and surrender your life to Jesus and allow him to use you how he sees fit? The choice is yours. The offer is there, but the decision is yours. And so my question is this. If there is anyone here who wants to surrender their life to Jesus and say, God, I want to give you my future and I'm really afraid of what that looks like because currently what I've done with my life ain't that great. But Lord, I want to surrender my life to you. And please, please convert all of me. Use all of me. Show me that once I gave my life to you, not a second of my life is a waste. You can only experience that if you accept Jesus and give your life to him. That's how it works. So my question is, who wants to surrender their life to Jesus today? If you do, stand up. God, I messed up, but, but I'm giving you my life. Amen. Amen. When your life is hidden in Jesus, you don't have to be stressed about hiding it anymore. Because it's actually hidden where it counts. So I want to encourage you as a church, minister to each other honestly. Share your vulnerabilities. Share what Jesus has done in you and is doing in you. And you'll be excited to see what God will do through you but you've got to surrender to Jesus. And when you do, he saves absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you that you are a God who even when we are in the biggest rebellion ever, when we cry out to you, you hear us. And so Lord, by faith, I believe that there are some people here who have been afraid to accept you. And Lord, today they have. And for that, I want to say thank you, Jesus. 
But Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit in a powerful and profound way may be in their life. Show them that once they surrender their life to you, not a second of their life has been wasted because you are a God who doesn't know how to waste. You're a God who is able to do the impossible and that is to use people even like me. And so Jesus, we want to come before you, surrender our lives and say, Father, thank you for making a way that we can be one again. Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Hey, greetings from beautiful and sunny Kingscliff, Australia. I want to take just a moment of your time, first of all, to thank you for tuning in, watching the program. I trust it was a blessing to you and your soul, drawing you closer to God and His will for your life. I also want to let you know that we are planning a significant expansion of our existing media ministry here at the Kingscliff Church. To find out more about this expansion and how you can get involved, go to bringitkingscliff.com. You can go either to the homepage or to the Our Gifts page to find out how you can come alongside us and support not just with your viewership, but also financially and with your prayers. Hey, thanks again so much for watching and take care.